Welcome back, everyone. And if it works for you, I'd love to uh, see your face. If you're, if you can uh, have your video on, that would be great. No, thank you. Thank you for that. So I was last uh, with the group in April, and we had been exploring in March and April a theme which I didn't expect to be quite so interesting and deep. It came out of my own retreat for the month of February, and this was exploring the theme of doing and not doing, and the multiple dimensions to that, the ways in which we often have a very strong identity as doers, as agents, which again is uh, very important in much of life, certainly important in spiritual practice. And yet there, that sense of doing can uh, block out dimensions of receptivity and even dimensions that we might call as ways of not doing. And we brought out a lot of these themes pointing to the possibility as we, as we deepen further in practice of a kind of doing that comes out of, as it were, a deeper not doing. And I gave different reference points for that, including the uh, Chinese Taoist tradition, where it's very, very central in the work of Lao Tzu and Chuang Tzu, and then also in many aspects of Buddhist tradition. And we looked at that in meditation and also in the area of uh, just of daily life. And there is an element in this sense of uh, not doing and having doing come out of not doing and having our meditation, in a sense, come out of a deeper sense of not doing that's very related to letting go. And also quite related to as we go deeper to a sense of confidence or faith that I don't have to continually, as it were, be a doer. I don't have to continually be on alert to do this or that. That I can, in a sense, rest more in my own nature. I can rest more in a kind of doing. And this led me really to reflect on the theme that I want to explore today and I believe next week. And that is the, the, the theme that we might call uh, the theme of faith or confidence or, or trust. You know, that there's some way that as our practice deepens, we have more confidence in our own deeper nature, maybe in a sense more confidence in reality, 
more confidence in the possibilities of practice, more confidence in the power of intention, awareness, compassion, love, however we phrase it. There's something that grows that has the aspect of faith. Maybe ultimately, again, really faith both in my own individual being and in my connection with the nature of things. And so how to explore that? First of all, just to say that the, you know, the word that we choose for this quality, I think depends on the resonances that a particular word has for us. For, for many people, the word faith in English tradition and sometimes in the history of religious traditions may have connotations of blind faith or faith that is uh, not well grounded or dogmatic or even uh, fundamentalist, even connected possibly with uh, internal or external force or violence. And so for some of us, faith may not be a word which really resonates. We may want to use words. And I think generally my experience is many people resonate a little bit better with words like confidence or trust. Could also be uh, some people use the word conviction. So what I want to do is uh, explore how we understand this quality of faith or trust or confidence, how it develops, what some of the markers are, and what it looks like when it becomes mature. And I'll see what the timing is like, but I, uh, I'll hope to get at least to some discussion of what that mature confidence or faith looks like. I gave some suggestion of it, that it is a kind of a a trust or confidence in our own being and the connection of our own unique being with a large, much larger sense of the totality of being. It's almost like confidence in my own being and its connection with what we call reality or uh, even more broadly, the cosmos. So that's a lot. And I was also reflecting that, you know, a sense of faith or confidence or trust in how things are, in the power of love or wisdom, can really be, can really raise a lot of questions, you know, given how the world is. You know, I was reflecting on this partly again, uh, being aware of what's happening now in. Uh, Israel and Palestine, and having a, a personal connection, because I, uh, as um, some of you know, I visited in uh, Israel and the West Bank uh, for about, probably a total of about three months in 2017 and 19, and I think during that time made five trips to Jerusalem, a lot of time in the old city, right where things are 
uh, quite violent right now. Uh, several trips to uh, the West Bank and very, very immersed. So how can one have a sense of confidence and faith when we have that violence in the world or the renewed attention in the United States to the, the legacies of the uh, genocide of Native American people, slavery, Jim Crow, the history of racism in, in this country towards many, many peoples. How could we have that sense of confidence and faith? Or, you know, just with watching even the current news, I'm very uh, alarmed by the attempts, the massive attempts, I think over 300 laws to suppress voting, right? So how can you have a sense of, yes, I have confidence, I have faith, uh, you know, love and wisdom are, you know, are most deep, you know, how can we have that? I think that's part of the, part of the journey is to come to grips with, with these realities. Um, or, you know, in a related way, how can we have trust or confidence when we look at some of the ways that we get caught or, or lost or reactive or when we look to our own dimensions of pain or trauma? You know, how can we, how can we really have that, um, that confidence about a spiritual path? Or when we look to, um, you know, we, we look to our own doubts about our own capacities, or, you know, or we, our own self-judgments about ourselves, our own harshness about our own, our own nature, or doubts about these teachings. Are they really adequate? Or they were developed, uh, uh, the core Buddhist teachings developed 2,600 years ago. Are they really adequate for our times for, you know, for, you know, yeah, mindfulness can be helpful, but is it really, uh, does it really go so deeply? So I want to explore those kind of questions and explore this theme of uh, faith or confidence or, or trust. Again, for me, as it comes very much out of this sense of uh, letting go and, and and not and not doing as a basis for being in the world, which implies that trust. But how do we understand that? So I want to do so in a few uh, in a few ways. I want to first talk uh, somewhat briefly about the notion of uh, sadha, uh, often translated as faith in the uh, teachings of the Buddha. What that what that understanding is, and then talk about more in a practical way about how we can see uh, trust or faith uh, developing in our own practice, in our own experience, in the different stages. So broadly speaking, I'll talk about how trust or confidence or faith is developed more in initial or beginning stages then in intermediate stages, and then what it looks like when it's, when it's most mature. So that's my outline. And then I'll also point to uh, practices that we can uh, work with in the next week. Because, you know, my, my way I really love to uh, 
work with groups in my own practice is to have the talk be really giving energy or inspiration for our own practice. So I'll be giving practices and a lot of the practices are really just really looking more carefully at when uh, doubt arises or if we, when we have challenges about uh, faith and also seeing what helps develop more confidence or trust. So a lot of our practice is really looking carefully at our own minds in terms of uh, what makes trust hard, what helps trust. Really, it's, it's that simple. That's, that's what we can look, look at in the, in the next period of time. So in the uh, traditional teachings, the notion of uh, faith uh, is associated with a word called sadha, S-A-D-D-H-A. And in, in Sanskrit, there, it, there's an R after the S, so it's, S, it's shraddha, S-R-A-D-D-H-A. And there are multiple meanings in the tradition for sadha. It means different things in different contexts and different texts. One, one meaning is a kind of uh, faith or conviction in the figure of the Buddha. So historically, sometimes faith means being inspired by and having a sense of the value and validity of the awakening of the Buddha and being able to bring the Buddha to mind. And there's some kind of inner energy that we could call faith or trust or confidence, something that, that moves us, that maybe moves us to practice. So faith is also connected with action, with, with taking steps to uh, develop oneself. You know, it's both a kind of um, understanding, uh, that in a way goes beyond our immediate experience, but it also can uh, motivate us. Uh, there, so there can be a kind of trust in the path of practice that can, that's also an understanding uh, traditionally. Sometimes it's framed as faith in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, or Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, faith in the figure of the Buddha, faith in the teachings, uh, and practices that point to liberation. And sometimes uh, it's about the, the community and the value of the community and the value particularly of the community of monastic practitioners. Um, this is from uh, a text from uh, Buddha Gosa about a thousand years after the Buddha, about 500 in the uh, common era. He says, faith arising discards the hindrances, causes our inner corruptions to subside, purifies the mind, and makes it undisturbed. And one of the main ways that faith appears in the uh, teachings of the Buddha and the suttas is in a larger teaching, which I think many of us know, called the Five uh, Spiritual Faculties. And faith is one of the five along with uh, concentration, uh, energy, wisdom, and mindfulness. And interestingly, faith is, in that teaching, is very much uh, linked with wisdom, and, and energy is, is linked with concentration. 
and mindfulness is always uh, valuable. So, um, and ultimately they both become strong, but sometimes one can have, this is pointed out in many texts, one can have uh, a strong faith, but be weak in wisdom, or one can be stronger in the wisdom, have it be more intellectual, but be weaker in the faith. And mindfulness, mindfulness helps all of these. And so an interesting relationship to, to have uh, that confidence ultimately be supported by these other qualities, particularly wisdom, that we, if when, we, when we have that deeper wisdom, which comes very much from our own direct experience, then the faith becomes, as it were, grounded in experience, uh, verified is often the term used. The faith becomes not so much uh, in advance of experience, but ultimately verified verified by experience. So what are some of the stages of the development of confidence or trust and what makes it hard? And here at times I'll, I'll ask you for some of your experiences. So as I, as I mentioned, I think the whole direction of the cultivation of trust or confidence and faith points towards a kind of deep confidence in our very being and that the depths of our being open us up to the depths of being in general. I was thinking of the term in the, the Hindu tradition that is right at the core of those teachings, which would have been around when the Buddha was there, which is the statement uh, uh, often given by a teacher to a student, uh, thou art that, that the depths, it said uh, that the Atman is the same as Brahman. Another, another way to say that is the depths of the individual being connects us with the totality of reality. And I think that is the understanding of, uh, in the teachings of the Buddha and Buddhist tradition. And that's what's being pointed to that ultimately it's not so much a faith that's personal and individual, but it somehow connects me with the very nature of things. And I go beyond my own individual being and I rest in the nature of things. You know, I rest with the earth, with the nature of being. That's what's being pointed to. So question is, how do we get there? How do we, how do we move in that direction? How do we get towards that place where faith or confidence is so mature that it's really connected with the very nature of things and it seems hard to imagine falling out of that. So we may start with, in our practice, with uh, faith in a particular being. Maybe we do hear the teachings of the Buddha and we have faith in the Buddha or we have faith in uh, Jesus or Muhammad. We have faith in this great, uh, this great teacher or it may be that we actually have a friend or a, um, you know, uh, a teacher that we've met who inspires us and gives us faith. 
you know, how many of you at times, and again, I'll invite you if you, if you can to have your video on so I can see you, how many of you have um, at times had your confidence or trust really inspired by a particular being whom you knew? How, for, how many of, for how many of us was that really central to development of confidence? So many, many people that's, that's true for. Um, and so another way that this confidence or faith develops uh, early on is that we may have very important experiences that uh, tell us or that we interpret as meaning that uh, the most important thing in life is love or wisdom or we have um, very strong experiences that can stay with us. This doesn't occur for everyone, but we may have experiences of love or connection or connection with the earth or compassion or, um, you know, or that may be something that comes through our family or maybe our, our uh, religious tradition growing up that is it's just very strong that love is most basic or compassion is most basic or we may again we may have experiences of some kind of uh, um, connection with the earth we may be in the wilds and have something speak to us that tells us about the unity of life or the unity of being we may call that a mystical experience we may call it something else but we may have experiences that awaken us. And I think this was this was true for me personally. That I had an experience in my early twenties, where I had a sense, being in the wilds, of the unity of things, of the nature of things, a kind of mystical experience, which was uh, very powerful. You know, and how many people, again, in thinking of your own development of confidence or faith, have had some kind of uh, experience of, um, you know, that was just very strong for you and lasted for you. How many have had some kind of very direct experience? Would anyone like to just share in maybe a sentence or two one of those experiences? And I think I can see everyone. So if you raise your hand or do the raised hand, I can see you. Anyone be willing to share that experience? Maybe just a sentence or two. I, I can share. Okay. Um, just an experience I had uh, when I was um, a middle schooler of um, being in a rainstorm in Big Sur with some friends and just sitting on the top of um, a cut a, a very high uh, tree stump, I guess you would say. Is the experience of just being so connected to nature. Wow. wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How many have had something like that? Very strong connection with nature, which just stayed with you. Yeah. Yeah. So we can have, would anyone else like to share? Again, probably raised hand function is probably the best way to do it. If you can do that easily. Anyone else just like to share in a few words, your experience? Uh, okay, please. It looks like uh, Niha. Please. Hi, uh, yeah. Um, I think, you know, 
probably more than one, but the one I remember is actually after a day-long retreat I did at Spirit Rock um, a few years ago. I just remember um, after, right after the, the, the meditation, at the end of the day, um, driving back home, and, and I, I sat in my car and I just felt um, just, I don't know, it just kind of, I felt so connected to, to just, to life. It was, um, it was pretty spectacular. And I, I carried that, um, that feeling with me. I, you know, I oftentimes remember what it felt like. Um, and I think of course, sitting all day in meditation practice had something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Neha. Yeah. And so I think what I'm hearing from you is also very much true for my experience is that those experiences stay, even though it's not so helpful to, to grab onto them or hang on. They can stay as the background and sometimes can be very important and difficult experience. I think there was one other person who raised a hand. Who was that? Yeah. Uh, Joanne, please. And if we could, uh, Tolan, can we highlight? Uh, uh, yeah. Hi. Um, I had um, an experience. You know, I've often been in nature and have had connection with just you know it's it very um just uh cosmic <laughs> i think you used the word i think you know i've ha often had that experience but specifically when um after my mother died mm. um i experienced walking just walking down the street in the neighborhood and um a, a hummingbird was suddenly appeared in front of me and stopped me and just was in my face and stayed there for quite a long time. Mm. And I thought, this is my mother. <laughs> and it just kind of let me, you know, connect in a, in a very um, real and deep way with um, all of life. You know, in a way. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I've since then, I hummingbirds speak to me. You know, my mother's speaking to me. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. So, thank you so much, Joanne. Everyone who shared. Uh, let's see. It looks like I'll do one more. Sonia, do you want to speak? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Let's uh, also. Yeah. Yeah, it, um, I had an experience where I had done a retreat at Spirit Rock um, on loving kindness, mm. and I I was a, at that time working as a social worker with foster kids, and every morning I would do these loving kindness practices before I went to work, and one morning I encountered a very angry teenager who was about to hit me, mm. and I remember in that moment because I had been doing these practices. I feel like I, everything slowed down in slow motion, and all I could feel was this incredible energy coming from my heart, mm. engulfing this this teen who literally stopped him on his tracks mm. and totally softened him up. And it was just an experience where I felt like I was one with this this teenager. Our hearts wow. were beating like this. Wow. it was just so powerful. Wow. The, the practice of love for me was at that point, like, oh, my gosh, what what a powerful practice that is. Well, yeah, beautiful. Thank you, Sonia. Very kind of made me think about that famous story where the Buddha 
is, um, yeah, the Buddha is uh, being attacked by a wild elephant. Um, yeah, uh, told them we can go back to the normal spotlighting, yeah. Uh, that where the Buddha is being stalked by a wild elephant set loose by his cousin, and the wild elephant is about to attack the Buddha, and the Buddha's loving kindness just creates this aura, this field, and the uh, wild elephant bows down. Yeah. So there are these experiences that we can have, which can be, sometimes we forget them. Sometimes they stay very close. You know, I remember for myself, uh, also a very, very important experience was uh, that had a lot to do with developing faith or confidence was when I uh, did my first, uh, first insight retreat at Insight Meditation Society. It was actually about 14 days. And I, in that retreat, I started to experience what we usually call the subtle energies of the body. You know, I was in my like mid-20s and I hadn't experienced those in that kind of way. And I spent like, you know, a week or 10 days immersed in this sense of reality that I had never known before that seemed to be connected with calm and deepening and insight. And I said, whoa, this is, this is quite a journey. <laughs> and the, But there was some way that this... Uh, gave uh, kind of deep confidence. Yeah, boy, things have opened up. I want to go further, right? And there was something in that experience. And so, yeah, let me invite you right now, because I think, like I said, sometimes we remember these experiences and sometimes we don't. Take a moment right now just for yourself. Was there some something like that, some experience? It could have been when you were three years old or five years old or 13, were there some experiences which now come back to you as indicating some kind of depth that supports your confidence in the path of developing awareness and kindness and wisdom? So sometimes these experiences, again, are close to us, and sometimes they're sort of in the back of our minds, but they can really be supportive of this faith, trust, confidence. And we can also, you know, of course, develop confidence as we continue practicing, and maybe in the beginning and intermediate stages, we can simply develop more confidence from noticing how practice works, noticing that when I'm mindful of some reactive pattern, I'm not so caught in it. We develop uh, confidence based on our practice. We have confidence that more and more maybe that uh, difficult moments are workable rather than just a curse, right? Often we think, oh, these difficult moments, may I not have so many of them? But we can really increasingly with practice have a sense of the workability of experience. Now I was thinking there is a teaching called the teaching of uh, liberative dependent origination, which is not taught very much, but it basically says that when we actually 
approach difficulties or reactivity or suffering in a different way than our habitual way, uh, the whole path opens up. Another way of saying that, you know, I was thinking of a story that Jack Kornfield told about being a monk in Thailand and going to his teacher and saying, you know, this is really hard. I don't feel like I'm making any progress and or complaining, you know, and his teacher said, you know, I think Jack said also, there's a lot, there's suffering involved in this. It's not easy. It's hard. And his teacher, Achan Cha, said, there is suffering which leads to further suffering, and there is suffering which leads to the end of suffering. Right? And so as we practice, we have a sense that we're actually working through some of our habitual patterns that are painful, that are difficult, that lead to suffering. And this, can, this of course, can deepen confidence. I develop more confidence in mindfulness. That doesn't mean it's always there. That doesn't mean I don't get lost or caught, but the confidence can develop. Uh, I can also have more confidence from uh, deepening my concentration, having experiences at times of bliss or quite deep concentration, um, maybe similar to what I was describing on that first retreat, where I go into states which are really, um, what, uh, revelations of some of the depths of my own being. And these can build, these can build a, kind of, a kind of confidence, uh, this, this confidence of having further experiences of my deep inner being. And it can, it can sometimes be there. It can sometimes manifest as a balance or equanimity in difficult experiences because I've, maybe I've looked at uh, difficult experiences. I've investigated my own habitual reactivity, the, you know, ten, the top 10 patterns. I've looked at fear. I've looked at anger. I've looked at grief or sadness, and there's some kind of uh, confidence in the workability of experience, which is a very significant part of what we're calling faith. You know, and you know, one of the manifestations that occurred to me was really, really interesting, and I, you know, it came out of the blue when I was actually traveling from uh, where I had been living in rural Ohio. I was, uh, I was moving to California. This was over 30 years ago. I was moving to California, and uh, it was a Saturday night, and I was going through Kansas City. And all of a sudden, on a bridge, uh, crossing over, I don't know, some industrial area, my, my, um, basically my car came to a stop. What I later found out is that my transmission had blown out and I came to a stop. I think it was freeway 70 going West. I came to a, to a stop in the fast lane on a bridge without any breakdown lane with cars going 70 miles an hour at night, right? And there was something in me that was uh, calm. You know, it was, it was very interesting. Something in me was calm. Something in me 
knew exactly what to do. I got out. I got distance from the car. I got up against the barrier. Uh, and I, th I think I could still have the lights on because I think the battery was still very much alive. But basically, I, I could act in a skillful way. And I eventually was able to flag down a car who was willing to kind of uh, push me, kind of do a push tow to get me off the freeway. But what was interesting for me that I wasn't, I don't remember feeling fear. There was something that was in that moment. And I later attributed it to practice. You know, who knows? Who knows what was there? But there was something there. And I think how many have had, maybe not, maybe not as dramatic or maybe more dramatic, but how many have had some moment that you recognized that there was some kind of balance or calm or equanimity in a difficult situation that you found yourself experiencing. You know, and yeah, and so this can, this is a fruit of practice, but it also, I think, can be connected with a, a building of, of faith in practice, uh, faith in practice. And, you know, it said, whoa, look at that. Yeah, look at that. So maybe I'll just say a few other things and I, I won't go so much, I'll leave it for next time into going into a lot of depth about what the, what this um, sense of confidence looks like as it gets more and more mature. But we're in a place where it's getting pretty mature. And so we also want to look to what, what makes that confidence hard? What makes the faith or trust hard? Because we, in our practice, you know, we might say we get continually tested in small ways and large ways. We get tested. We have experiences that in which we lose faith or we lose faith for moments or we lose touch with the faith. We're caught in reactivity or I'm just caught in maybe self-pity or one of my patterns or self-judgment. And so we need to look really carefully at those kind of experiences <clears throat> and know, first of all, that this is part of the journey. That the journey, as it were, to developing confidence or trust and faith takes us through experiences where we may uh, lose faith for periods of time. Sometimes for a longer period. Sometimes it's momentary. It occurs for a day or for two hours. Sometimes it's, um, it can be there for a longer time. Sometimes we go through what um, we sometimes call the dark night of the soul, you know, which I, I've taught on uh, several times, uh, uh, you know, particularly with my uh, colleague Marisa Handler, and where we explore where we can uh, actually... Be, feel somewhat lost. And interestingly, when you go back and look at the original uh, Catholic mystical text connected with St. John of the Cross from the 16th century, he says that the uh, dark night of the soul is actually an experience that comes only with significant spiritual maturity. It doesn't come when you're, you're fresh. It actually Come, only comes when you're actually quite mature. And it can be something which tests one's faith, one's confidence, but also deepens it almost to the 
almost to the end point, to a place that's very, 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 very profound. So we can, we can in these uh, difficult moments, lose a sense of uh, confidence or faith again, uh, for a short time, for for a longer time, and so it's very you know it's very helpful to to see what knocks us out of our our faith or confidence, you know. So think right now, what are some of the experiences that you've had that really uh, challenged your confidence or trust for, you know, either a short time or a longer time? Maybe reflect right now. What are some of those experiences? And let me, let me again invite uh, several people to to speak. Anyone like to share? It can just be with a, a word or two. It doesn't have to be uh, talking in detail about your experience, but just naming. Anyone want to just name uh, an experience that uh, in which you lose your trust and confidence? It could be for an hour, three hours, a day, a week, or longer. What kind of experiences lead you to and again, I think if you, I can see people. Joanne, please. Taking a fall um, and breaking my wrist um, on one of my routine walks around the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So something like a physical injury or maybe, uh, maybe an illness. Having physical difficulties, we maybe get so preoccupied by that that we lose our sense of practice. How many can relate to that one? Yeah. Another another example. Looks like is that uh, Christine? Are you raising your hand? Yeah, please. That's Christina. Sorry. You can unmute and and speak. Just the coronavirus. Yeah, that's uh, Go ahead. <laughs> I said all of 2020. Uh, so can you hear me? I, I did, yeah. So what can uh, lead to a loss of trust or confidence? A year like 2020. <laughs> yes. A year like 2020, the coronavirus, where... You know, I'm, I'm, I was channeling my father. I was going to make a bad pun. A year like 2020 where we lose 2020 vision. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, again, difficult experiences, maybe preoccupation with our own physical well-being, uh, being maybe deprived of our usual supports. Yeah. What else can... You know, just on a very ordinary level can make, can really put that trust or confidence in doubt for a while, knocks us away from it. Again, you can do either raised hand or just if I raise your hand, I think I could see you. Uh, please, uh, Richard.
The Washington Post, any day of the week. Yeah, yeah, it's the Washington Post, any day of the week. So going back to uh, <clears throat> how uh, the news, particularly of really, we might call say, call them dispiriting things in the world, like I mentioned earlier, that those can those can really knock one around. So there's actually many of us talk about having a almost like a care about the level of input that we get from the media. You know, how do we balance uh, getting enough to be well informed with the danger of getting too much? Not saying that that's the case, but it, it can be. So, but yeah, sir, how many can relate to feeling uh, lack of trust tuning into uh, different events in the world. Yeah, local, national, global, right. Maybe one more. Liz, do you want to share? <laughs> I, I didn't, but I will. <laughs> okay. Discovering that I'm not as smart as I thought I was. <laughs> right, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm smart, but you know, sometimes other people are smarter, and that, that's when it came as a shock. I know that sounds very childish, but I mean, I. It sounds very adultish. Yes, as an adult, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> it was uh, a shock. Yeah, but, we, you know. probably we can probably generalize it some some way that our self-image. Uh, Mm, isn't what we want it to be, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, humility hasn't been my strong point, but as an adult, and as you know how old I am, uh, there's been more humility, and and uh, I've, that came hard, but it's good. Yeah, great. So thank you. Yeah. So again, I would. You know, we can have uh, personal experiences. I, I want to generalize some from your examples. Uh, personal experiences in which our sense of self maybe is uh, challenged some, maybe some way we hold ourselves doesn't stand up as it used to, and we get sort of locked in, we maybe contract, we get locked in, we get a little reactive or self-judgmental. And these can at least temporarily take us away from our sense of practice, our sense of faith or confidence. So I think it's very helpful almost for each of us to have a sense, what are my top five ways that my confidence or faith gets challenged. I think it's very helpful almost to know what those are. What knocks me around, you know? You know, sometimes, I think for me, it sometimes it's a sense of, uh, like, what really, uh, you know, maybe, I, again, I can generalize. It's when something taps into what might be some residual wounds that I have in my own being. You know, if I have, all of us have residual pain Often that comes from when we were younger or painful experiences when we were younger or when we were older. And something that triggers that kind of pain, even for some of us there might be residues of trauma, is going to knock us out of that confidence, at least for a while. So I think it's very helpful to know what those are. So maybe just a few other words. Um, I'll just mention one other manifestation of, and then how to practice. Then I think I'll reserve the rest of what I have for, for next time. That it can be really valuable to, at times, 
have that sense of confidence and trust be there when we're not sure what's happening, when we're in a time of uncertainty. You know, a phrase that I sometimes like to use that I got from uh, a teenager. Um, um, my, my colleague Diana Winston and I uh, uh, taught retreats together for some time. Um, and they were particularly on what we called socially engaged Buddhism. And, and we developed kind of a map of 10 different core qualities that one developed. And one of them was called not knowing, you know, not always knowing what's going on or not knowing what's happening. And one of the teenagers uh, said, well, not knowing is okay, but you really got to add something to it. You got to say not knowing, but keeping going. <laughs> And so that was cool. That was really great, a great addition. And so I was thinking of times when there was some way I didn't know what was happening and I could think of other people. This is an important part of trust or confidence that there can be periods of time when we're not quite sure what's happening, either in some sense or in some area or sometimes globally, but we keep on going. You know, and I, I was thinking of... Um, well, you could think of the Buddha went on a six-year journey, not really knowing what was happening, but being driven by the quest for awakening. Six years of not quite knowing uh, what he was after, but something was driving him. Or I was thinking of there was a period uh, for the Vietnamese teacher uh, Thich Nhat Hanh from uh, the years 1977 to 1982 after he left uh, Vietnam, really was exiled from Vietnam, and uh, was trying to, at that time, help the Vietnamese boat people, but the uh, hostility of the governments, uh, of course Vietnam, but also of Thailand and Singapore, led him to give up doing that. And he went into five years of retreat, in which he wasn't really sure what he was doing. He was meditating, writing, gardening, and reading, and he wasn't sure what he would do. He had to give up what he had been doing. And out of that five-year period came his inspiration for the rest of his life, which is still occurring. He's in his mid-90s. You know, and, and di different people experience something like that. That, uh, um, you know, I remember... For myself, I had a period when I was uh, not quite sure what I was doing, but I wanted to. I, w I wanted to take almost like a year away from things, and I had saved up enough money so it was possible. And I did a little bit of teaching, about a week a month, uh, that brought in some income. But I, I basically had no structure the rest of the time. And I didn't know what was going on. And it was a kind of not knowing, but keeping going. I was really open. There was a kind of trust that what would, what I would need to know would arrive for me. And that actually happened. That that period was also, that year-long period was like a genesis for a lot that came later. And it generated a lot of the core understandings. And a lot of it was more on a gut level. Some of the things I knew intellectually more, but they happen more on a gut level. So let me point to 
uh, practices for uh, the next week, if you'd like, to, if you'd like to do them. Look at when you're disconnected from trust or confidence, especially when you feel doubt. Have your radar out for those moments and be mindful of those moments. So I'm going to give two practices. One is have your radar out for moments of doubt, uncertainty, doubting yourself, doubting the practice. And then secondly, look at when there are experiences of confidence and see what develops that confidence or trust when you feel particularly confident in different ways. So study that, take some notes, and we'll, we'll compare notes uh, next time. So let's just sit quietly now for a minute or so and see what comes to mind as helpful or important for you from our exploration. And then also how you like to, how you'd like to explore uh, this experience uh, or the, the this this whole theme in the next period of time. Now let me open it up to anyone who wants to uh, share anything or. Uh, make a comment, uh, ask a question. And again, next time I'll be going into more depth on sort of the maturity of, uh, the further maturity of, uh, of confidence and trust. Anyone want to share something, ask something, ask a question? And again, you can do uh, the raised hand function is the best, but I can also see people if you have your video on. Uh, Audrey, please. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. I wanted to spare you my bad accent, but <laughs> I'm going. Pas de problème. Thank you. <laughs> um, so what you are referring to what Ajahn Shah said, the one who knows, maybe? Mm -hmm. First, is it that? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, you know, there's, uh, yeah. Should I say more about that or do you want to go further first? Uh, no, but I think I had some experience about that when I was, I don't know, gardening or using Shane Sue in my garden, not knowing how to do that. But all of a sudden, you know, it was quite clear that I, I took the tool and I could use it. And of course, there is uh, all my family and who were... Uh, working uh, with those tools, so um, I don't know. There, there were something inside of me that was quite sure that I could do it, mm -hmm. and so it's as if my ego dropped, and it's a sensation of openness, and it's really 
quite amazing actually. So. Yeah, yeah. So there's some that's that's also I think that's related to what we were exploring with that theme of doing and not doing and having the doing come out of some kind of resting or some letting go, some receptivity, some and confidence comes in there, confidence, trust, faith. So in you know, in that activity, some you know, maybe it sounds like some letting go of some contracted sense and opening up and there was just something that uh, for whatever reason you could let go of that more constructed sense of self and be fully engaged in the activity. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Audrey. And then there's that, uh, there's the sense, you know, of uh, Achan Cha has this phrase, the one who knows, which maybe I'll bring that in next time more because it's also, I think, related to going into the depths of our being, because for him, that sense of one, the one who knows is almost not personal. It's going into a deep awareness that is uh, an aspect of our being that can uh, uh, hold everything, including the phenomena of ourself. I think anyone else want to share something, ask a question, uh, you know, or just maybe could be to share what's been helpful to you when there's some some doubt, some question. It looks like uh, Charlesky. Yeah. Or is it, uh, Ch see, Charles Lee? Yeah. Hi. Okay. Oh, it's like uh, Tolan has full control of my computer. Okay. <laughs> uh, I had a question about, uh, about practice. Uh, okay. About practice. Uh, when um, I guess when when being open to 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 things happening, I often find that I'm actually like kind of searching mm -hmm. for sounds or searching for input, um, and uh, I think I recognize that that's not quite the instruction. Um, it's to be you know maybe a little bit more receptive rather than kind of reaching out. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to know if you had any, uh, I guess, any thoughts about that and any um, tips to kind of help with that. Great. Thank you. Good to see you again. And um, let's see. I think there are different stages, really, in our practice where sometimes when we're, you know, maybe and, and this is mean stages both you know, biographically in terms of, you know, at the beginning of my time of practice, but also means relative to the degree of subtleness, relative to the degree of uh, stability of the mind, that I think that can be really valuable uh, when we're either beginning generally or when we're in a time when we're a little more distracted, where it's helpful to actually uh, really look deliberately for what's happening. You know, and that's that kind of a searching that makes some sense because we want to really see what's going on. We really want to notice what's happening. And we look, we look for what's predominant. So typically we don't have to search too much. And then, uh, but we would, uh, you know, we would start with the breath or start with whatever the anchor is. And then we would um, be with that. But if something takes our attention away, there is a kind of searching. Okay, what just took my attention away? Or where am I? Or what happened? 
And so that is a kind of searching which is helpful. And we're really looking for what's there. What was that? You know, what was that? Okay, I just had thinking. What kind of thinking was that? There's an, there's an aspect of searching that is valuable to really know more clearly and precisely what's happening. And then, but, and then when there's some degree of stability, that's when I think we can be more receptive. Uh, you know, so I'm fairly stable and I'm with, maybe I'm with the breath and something comes up and uh, I, uh, you know, and I notice it. But I think it still can be an aspect of searching in the sense of, you know, uh, let me attend to what's predominant. Let me go there. And I think uh, as we get more stable, then we can be more receptive and we just say, uh, let me be present and just notice whatever is predominant without trying to control it or make it happen. Um, so that's, those are the things which occur to me right now. Does that get at some of what you're, you're bringing up? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think, uh, you know, I've been uh, formally practicing for about a couple of years now and certainly in the, you know, in the beginning, I mean, there was plenty. I didn't have to kind of search. You know, my mind was all over the place. But, you know, I'm much more settled now in general. Uh, and I guess, yeah, I kind of almost feel, you know, maybe there's almost some boredom or like, okay, let me like, you know, let me, you know, almost almost like a, a craving for, um, oh, yeah. you know, something more more interesting. Um, and, uh, and so I've, 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 you know, I've, I've, I've seen that sometimes in my, in my practice rather than being able to kind of, you know, stay, stay in one place and be okay with the fact that actually my mind is not racing and, you know, I don't have, you know, lots of disturbing things going on. I'm comfortable. It's springtime. I'm often outside. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's um, that definitely that that sense of boredom definitely comes with the territory, and you know as we practice, it's very normal. Just to um, what you can do is be interested in boredom, <laughs> which is you know kind of interesting. You know, uh, you know, say, oh, look at boredom. Let me see what it's like. Let me inquire. What's the boredom like in the body? What's it like in the mind? Uh, but it is something like that. Okay. Just the breath again. Oh, okay, just just another sound. And um, actually, I think when we're really present, actually, even all that stuff repeated over again, over and over again, can get really interesting. So, but the the boredom is just, is is something that happens at times, very normal, and you can uh, do a little jujitsu move with it. <laughs> so, it's kind of fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, thanks, Charlesley. Um, okay, uh, other. Maybe we have time for one more. If, if anyone had a reflection or thought, or sharing. Yeah, or even what's been, uh, what do you find as helpful for 
your own confidence and trust. Anyone else want to share anything? Okay, looks like uh, maybe last one, uh, Rich, yeah. Yeah, what I found is most challenging on the top of my list is prolonged isolation mm -hmm. and some anxiety and depression that comes with that. Mm -hmm. Just put me in a very um, pessimistic, you know, low faith, low trust kind of space. Um, nothing's going to help. I'm just down. I'm really lonely. And um, what helps is Sangha. Mm -hmm. Like coming here, reconnecting with other folks and hearing their stories. And then also with teachers, whether it's here um, or even by video, you know, sometimes online or podcast or something can kind of bring back that sense of faith and that sense of trust. And especially when um, the talk happens to address exactly, you know, what I'm going through at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Rich. And um, let me just ask, how many how many can relate in some way to what Rich is bringing up? Yeah, I think it's, you know, as was mentioned, uh, that, that sense of this uh, time of the pandemic uh, being hard in so many ways, although what you're talking about certainly can go beyond the pandemic. But that, you know, that isolation and just just the ways in which you know really the ways in which our uh, yeah our own our own you know all of us have some difficult areas of our lives right some areas that can be painful and when those get to be get to be strong sometimes they can block out our sense of faith or trust you know and first of all just to know that is really important to know that sometimes, you know, my, you know, whatever it is, my, um, you know, my sense of accomplishment or my, my uh, anxiety or depression or my sense of not being connected or my, um, yeah, just my sense of belonging or whatever or the, or the news or whatever, that each of these can... Um, really bring about a level of challenge or difficult or dukkha, we might say, that can can obscure the uh, can obscure the faith or trust for a while. And so, like I think, like you're suggesting, it's very helpful to um, have our wisdom give us some guidance in those times. Like you say, so you connect with the sangha, you connect with a teacher, you look at a video. Because what, what I found is that even when we're caught in these difficult states that might be linked with our kind of still residual painful parts of our lives or our wounds or whatever we call them, even in those moments, they're never 100%. They're never 100% dominant. We always have at least some part of our consciousness can say, all right, what's wise to do? And that's what we have to somehow... Uh, call on when we feel a little bit stuck, call on, okay, 10%, do your work. 10% <laughs> of my being, tell me what to do. 
you know, and that can be, I th that's what I'm hearing you doing. I don't know if it's 10%, but something like that. I think it's very helpful to know that we're never fully stuck. Uh, I and I, I hope to remember that one of the key things I got today that feels powerful, I hope to be able to remember it at those times, um, is that quote you gave of, there's suffering that leads to more suffering and there's suffering that leads to the end of suffering. Yeah. So that thought of, well, I, I, I find myself suffering right now and, wow, maybe there's an opportunity here. You know, if I could remember, there's an opportunity here that this particular chunk of suffering, if I can find the right way to relate to it and come back to the practice, can actually be a path of liberation. A liberation. Uh, beautifully said, Rich. That's so key. I'll have to bring, bring that in further next time. It's like, can I take everything as learning? Or as is said in the Tibetan tradition, turn all obstacles. This will be what do we close with. Turn all obstacles into the path of practice. Yay. <laughs> turn all obstacles into the path of practice. Uh, not easy, but that. But if we remember that partly, then, okay, this is actually an opportunity to do some further inner work to work through this a little bit more. So that's, thank you for bringing that up. That's great. Um, so we're, we're at time. Let's, again, go back to reflect on, on how to bring this forward, how to explore this territory in the next week. The suggestion I made was to tune in to moments of doubt or being a little bit stuck, work with faith or trust in the ways that make sense for you, and see what helps. So reflect just for 30, 40 seconds on what comes next for you. And so let me invite us then as we close to remember that we practice for our own benefit, for the benefit of those close to us, but we also practice for the benefit of others, ultimately all others. May our session, our morning in the East Coast, West Coast time, may our, may our session be beneficial ultimately to all beings, which includes us. So thanks, everyone, and uh, to be continued. Bye-bye. If you want to unmute and say hi, you can, and bye, you can do that. Bye. <laughs> thank you. Okay, thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, right. everyone. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Nice seeing everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Thanks, Donald. Good seeing you. Yeah. Thanks, Tolan. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.